This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey. Hey, Sam. We're opening this last show with you because I believe actually, you know what? Now that I say it out loud and think about it out loud, you were the first voice that was ever heard on It's Been a Minute. Because you did the first intro. But generally on the intros, don't you say something first and then you put me on? We started doing that later, but I think for the first one, it was just you. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's I'm Betty. Today's guest from the New York Times, reporter Katie Rogers, and one of the hosts of NPR's All Things Considered, Ari Shapiro. All right, let's start the show. Oh. oh, my God. When I announced the news, everyone was like, where is Betty going? And I was like, I don't know wherever she wants to go. <laughs> but they like you a lot and they're going to miss you. Well, I'm going to miss doing this. I really have been impressed with how loyal your uh, listeners are. Yeah. Well, and it's been fun listening to you walk into your stage voice over the last few years on this show. I remember when you started doing this, you would tell me how you would get ready to do the read for the intro. And correct me on this, uh, you would go to your bathroom mirror Look in the mirror, make yourself smile, stand up, raise your shoulders, and you would deliver it like with a smile to yourself in the bathroom mirror. Absolutely. I did that because I wanted to project. I didn't want to sound like I was worn out and tired. And I wanted to kind of temper it over the years to kind of fit what you're going to be talking about. Well, it's worked. And I mean, you've gotten so good at taking stage notes. We'll tell you, do this one a bit down. Do this one a bit up. And you roll with it. You are a good union actress. Well, I will tell you, if you could see the number of times that I tape it and don't save it, because I don't like the way that sounds, tape it again and don't save it. (laughs) Well, that all sounds good to us. Um, So we're going to have you come back in the show to play Who Said That uh, with one of your friends. But before we do that, we're going to let you introduce... It's been a minute. One last time. Okay. Go ahead. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. What are we talking about? What am I introducing? (laughs) (laughs) Did they send you the coffee? No. (laughs) Uh... Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, an update on politics and a special who said that. All right. Let's start the show. Hey, y'all, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, and um, this is my last episode hosting the show, my last day hosting. Do not worry. The show will continue, and I will still be talking for a living after this. But for now, some news. Let's get to it. You know, when I thought about who I wanted to have as my two final panelists for my final news chat on this show, I could not think of a more dynamic, amazing duo and Susan Davis and Aisha Roscoe, two of my friends from the politics desk. Hello. Hey, Sam. Hey, oh my goodness. Y'all should be honored. This is the last news conversation <laughs> I'm ever doing in my life. I was I mean, trying to express my resume. the honor. I was trying to express the honor when I said, oh my goodness. Like that's I feel like- a lot of pressure for this episode, right? It's like the first and the last are, are milestones. So we got to make it a good one. We got to make it count, Sam. Well, listeners, we'll uh, do some more final goodbyes later, but I can't have these two amazing political reporters on the show and not talk about politics. I want to talk about politics. Let's do it. And I want to talk about 
the weird, weird, weird space that America and Joe Biden, that we all find ourselves in right now, we're not in a war, but it kind of feels like we're in a war. And I want to talk about how all of this is playing out in Congress and in the White House. And I think my first question is just to have you both explain the current conundrum the Biden White House finds itself in right now. Joe Biden is adamant that the U.S. will not send American troops into this ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine. You know, no more entanglements. But America still feels very much involved in this war. The U.S. is sanctioning Russia heavily and now boycotting Russian oil. And it's the biggest story here in the States. And I wonder what we call this, this current state of American affairs. We aren't in a war, but we're also kind of in a war, at least emotionally. What do you call this? Um, I mean, I, I think that it is very much so. I, I mean, it it's really seems like our this generation's like Cuban missile crisis. Like, it's definitely a crisis, right? Like... And and I think to be very clear, it's not even just one of those situations where it's like, oh, we went through a lot in Afghanistan, not to downplay that, but like we were in Iraq, we had all of these long forever wars, and now we don't want to get involved in something else again. Like this is Russia, right? Like this is going to war with Russia would not be the same as going to war with Iraq. Yeah. Like this is a whole nother ball game. And that's because, you know, it's a large nuclear um, power, you know, even if it's not an economic power or a political power the way it used to be, it is a nuclear power. Um, and and that's a whole other ball game. It's so weird though, because like We were at war in Afghanistan for years, over a decade, and there were many years where Afghanistan wasn't a trending story. We are not at war in Russia or Ukraine, but America seems focused on that war more than it had been over Afghanistan for years until the exit. Yeah, I mean, I think, especially when it comes to the Iraq war, like there was a much more ambiguous rationale for entering into that war. There was not as much public support for it. In a lot of ways, the U.S. is in sort of a wartime mood right now. I think if you think Mm. both about President Biden being up front to the country, that they're going to have to make some sacrifices, thinking specifically of gas prices that are likely to go up a whole bunch more after uh, he moved to ban imports of Russian oil and gas. But you're also seeing something happening politically, at at least in the short term, we'll see how long it lasts, of a bit of bipartisan unity and rallying around Joe Biden and and what the administration is doing on this front. And even among the public, you know, Biden's numbers have been pretty bad in terms of popular support. But if you look at support for what he's doing in Ukraine and the action so far, the country's really behind him. Yeah, yeah. You know, in general... What is the message from Team Biden on this? I feel like they've always been strong against Putin, but the the news of this Russian oil boycott, that seemed like a new development. Yeah, they were. Tr- so what the U.S. was trying to do is they were saying that they kind of wanted to not focus as much on Putin and they wanted to turn to Asia because they felt like that was really the next um, threat to the U.S. And so now that whole idea, that shift to Asia now is is that's you know, gone. They're directly focused on Putin. Um, And they didn't want to do the oil ban because they know that prices are going to go up. People are not going to be okay with that. And not only that, like, we should not 
downplay how big an impact that higher energy prices have on poor people in particular, right? Like it is yeah. a major tax and it yeah. disproportionately affects people who do not have money. But I think the political pressure grew to the point from Republicans and Democrats where they had to act. And also there was already kind of a de facto ban where private companies were already not doing business with Russia regardless. So all people weren't buying oil from Russia. So the impact was being felt, but they weren't getting the political benefit of saying we stood up to Russia. And it's given him a foil, right? He's, you see the messaging from the White House. This is Putin's war. You're always your gas prices are going up because of Putin, what Putin has done. Like it's given him an enemy, even though it's a much more complex reason why prices are rising and inflation is an issue. But it's part of it, right? Part of what is happening. And he gave the White House what I think they needed right now is partly somebody to blame for real-time situations that are affecting a lot of families. It feels like domestically, Democrats and Republicans are kind of uniting at least against Vladimir Putin in all of this. I mean, my eyes and ears don't want to believe it because that never happens these days. But how much has all of this conflict led both parties here in the States to kind of at least perform coming together over something? You certainly get it in the short term. Um, I think that the Congress has been very supportive of the executive action so far that the president has taken. Um, I don't know how long it lasts. I would say Politically, it is an election year. American voters vote on domestic issues. And more broadly, the country doesn't think the president's doing a very good job right now. His approval ratings are really not good. And they're even worse in the places where Democrats need to win if they have a chance of holding on to a majority, probably in the Senate. The House is probably not within reach for Democrats. I don't think that that's a uh, outrageous claim to make. I mean, they're they're really looking at a long slog to the midterm. So mm. how Biden handles this crisis is going to matter a lot. But don't forget that like underneath this immediate crisis, the fundamentals are not strong for Democrats in this climate. Well, this is what I want to ask about, particularly how Americans feel about all of this. It felt like before Putin and Russia and Ukraine the White House was potentially getting blamed for a lot of things, supply chain issues, inflation, rising prices, gas prices, etc. But now with this Russia-Ukraine plot line, Joe Biden can say, oh, well, the high gas prices are Putin's fault. Does that kind of messaging and that kind of pivot help him politically? Are Americans in general more supportive of him now than they were before this all began? There is some polling, you know, that shows that they support, you know, that Americans are supporting his actions towards Russia. Um, And I I do wonder how long the attention span is of the American public, even in this situation. Um, I mean, even with the I mean, look, the pandemic affected everybody. And there came a point even early on where people were just like, I'm tired of it. You know, four months in, people was like, done with this. So I don't know how long people will right now. It's front page everywhere you look. But is there a point where people get tired Um, because wars take a long time. They don't, you know, wrap up overnight. And also just from a practical standpoint of like American life, pretty soon we're going to be entering peak driving season over the summer. And there's places in this country that could very soon be looking at $7 a gallon gas, like prices we've literally never seen before. Absolutely. So if gas is $8 a gallon in October, that's a problem. 
And, and yeah. it doesn't matter if Vladimir Putin is partly to blame for that. That is going to be a punishing economic reality for a lot of people, and they're going to be mad about it. Coming up, more with NPR's Aisha Roscoe and Susan Davis. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today. For the seventh year on the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity go way beyond the day's headlines. Because we know what's part of every person is part of every story. We're bringing that perspective with new episodes every week. Listen on the Code Switch podcast from NPR. You know, y'all mentioned the Cuban Missile Crisis, but I'm wondering, is there any more recent moment in American political history that feels like this one? I was trying to think all week what this moment feels like to not be in a war, but kind of feel like we're in a war, you know, to be railing against this mortal enemy while not sending troops in to go get him. And, you know, no troops are committed, and yet we're feeling things that feel like wartime sacrifice. What is this moment, comparatively, historically, is there any other moment that feels like what we're dealing with right now? I can't really think. I mean, it's not, and it's not analogous to like a 9-11 or something like that, because we weren't attacked, right? Like, there's not a direct impact on this clear threat to America directly. But I I admit that I have been a little bit surprised at how much support the president has had initially from the public, who is quite sour on him otherwise, and and from the Congress, where he's got a lot of entrenched opposition on Capitol Hill. I mean, a lot of people really don't like Joe Biden in Congress. And he's been able to uh, have more support than I thought he would have. Yeah. And I, yeah. I mean, I do think that there is this very deep psychological, you know, former Soviet Union, like that that whole like Cold War mentality hadn't. I, I mean, I think that there, that there are still like a lot of vestiges of that yeah. in oh, the yeah. U.S. And, you know, I watch a lot of Golden Girls that's set in like the late <laughs> 80s, early 90s. Um, and so there was a lot of that Cold War stuff and like fear of Wait, nuclear the Golden war. Girls had Cold yes. War stuff? What episodes are you watching? Absolutely. <laughs> first of all, uh, Rose wrote a letter to Gorbachev trying to end the Cold War. They had a whole thing on it. They uh, they had very special episode Soviet. of Golden Girls. Yes. How are you going to fix this nuclear war thing by writing a letter to President Reagan? Well, now that would be pretty stupid, wouldn't it, Blanche? I mean, Reagan's only responsible for half the problem. I have to write to Gorbachev too. 
like there were a lot of episodes. <laughs> that is. Can we get Blanche Devereaux to cross enemy lines and be a spy for the great cause? <laughs> there was a lot in there, so I'm just saying, like back in the day, people were very concerned about Listen. Russia. So I think some yeah. of that is coming to the surface. That's all. That's my analysis. The Russians <laughs> were the enemy. Like the, yeah. the evil guys in every movie were Russians. Yeah. I think of like in Rocky. Like it yes. was always like the Russians were the ones that were out to get us and. And that Where probably does Russians. help, right? Like the yeah. more people yeah. are like, oh, wait a minute. Putin's a bad guy and they must be stopped. I bet Blanche Devereaux could stop Vladimir Putin Absolutely. with her womanly Dorothy walls. definitely exactly. could. You think yes. Dorothy would be afraid yes. of Vladimir Putin? Not so at here, all. Yeah. Here's also <laughs> my thinking about why this war resonates so deeply with the American public right now. It is because, I think, in large part, Zelensky and Putin are such stark archetypal differences oh Oh, yeah like they're night and day and they're both these big characters like vladimir putin is a character who's larger than life and Zelensky is a politician who knows how to work media and social media and video yeah i also think and this will be unpacked more you know over time it matters when everyone involved in this war is white and no one is brown and no one's from the middle east I think that changes the politics of it, and I think it allows people to be cheerleaders around this stuff in a way that they wouldn't otherwise. No, I I think you're 100% correct about that. I mean, first, the Zelensky being able to command social media, to show himself, I'm with the troops, I'm like all of that, the way that he has presented himself is in a way that Americans can totally relate to and root for because they love to root for the underdog. I do worry that people think it's too much like a movie and it's not a movie. So like that's the... I mean, he is a former actor, right? Yeah, he's a former comedian. Yeah. Yeah. So and I think it's that. And like you said, absolutely. The fact that they are... Are European, um, that they're not brown people, I think makes a very big difference. Like, the, I mean, race is all up and through this, right? Like, the way people respond to this um, yeah. and the fact that people don't expect war in these places, they expect it in these other in places. The brown places. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, with all this, just as like a concerned citizen, it's such a weird moment. There's all this stuff going on. And I feel that we all feel this pressure to respond to it because we see the memes and the TikTok and the tweets and the videos about war. And in the same regard, gas prices are going crazy. But I literally don't know what to do about that either. And it just feels like we're in this moment where there's so much going on, everything going on right now. And no one's telling me as a concerned American what the hell to do. So I'm just sitting here watching saying, wow, who's in charge? I don't know. Well, I think... I. I don't think that politicians, especially when it comes to energy prices, they're not very honest with the American people. You know, the one side talking about drill, baby drill. The other side, oh, well, we just go to um, green energy. And that's fine. All of that stuff takes time. And so the real thing to tell people is, look, your prices are going to be high. This is something you need to plan for if you can. Um, see if you can carpool. Now, now, obviously, that's not a popular political message. You're gonna lose the no. election, but you be telling, <laughs> yeah. but you would be telling the truth. So what I hear you saying is you're telling Joe Biden to pull a Jimmy Carter. No, I'm not. T- I don't. I, you know what? 
And look how well that worked out for him. I don't give politicians, I do not give politicians advice, okay? Because I can't, I'm not going to win you no election. I'm just telling you, I'm telling everybody. Be honest. Be honest with the American people. You know what I really want besides honesty? I want someone just to tell me what to do. I want someone to be like, okay, go order Freedom Fries. Go sew a (laughs) jacket for somebody. Go carpool to win the war. Like, give me something to do, somebody. You know what you should not do, Sam? Don't be one of those people that's, like, throwing eggs at Russian restaurants. and (laughs) Don't don't do that. And that's not helping the anything. The people who are like not drinking like certain vodkas and stuff, like don't do don't do this. <laughs> On that note, I want to thank both of you uh, for coming to talk with me, Aisha Roscoe and Susan Davis. Uh, the two of them cover Congress and the White House for NPR, and Aisha will soon be hosting Weekend Edition Sunday. Um, I'm so honored to have had my last news chat for NPR uh, happen with the two of you. I have loved working with folks as smart and as fun and as good-hearted as y'all and colleagues, and I will miss y'all very dearly. Sam, it's been a pleasure. Sam, it it has been a pleasure, and thank you for showing me how to do this hosting thing because your influence and your example of bringing your whole self um, has certainly been an inspiration to me and you also gave me a chance to host your show and that meant the world to me and so I thank you very much oh my goodness I love this show well in the after times I'm going to come to D.C. and uh, hang out with two of you and all y'all's kids so many kids I'm going to get your babysit <laughs> well, no you're going to babysit you, you told me you was going to babysit <laughs> and Aisha and I are going to go drink some vodka and you're going to watch you our kids there you go I love it on that note you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. You care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day we transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news, we take you there. And you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day. From your car radio to your smart speaker, NPR meets you where you are in a lot of different ways. Now we're in your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Every weekday, NPR's best political reporters come to you on the NPR Politics Podcast to explain the big news coming out of Washington, the campaign trail, and beyond. We don't just want to tell you what happened. We tell you why it matters. Join the NPR Politics Podcast every single afternoon to understand the world through political eyes. This message is brought to you by Wondery. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura protects residents from global catastrophes. But a dark secret threatens Pura's very existence. Binge all episodes of The Last City ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. On the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity don't begin or end with the news cycle. That's because we know race and identity impact every person and influence every story. We're getting into all of it with new voices each week on the Code Switch podcast from NPR. On the TED Radio Hour, 
In the middle school cafeteria, Tai Tashiro always sat with his equally nerdy buddies. The socially awkward kids who were the furthest thing from cool. And he often wondered, Why am I so socially awkward? And what am I going to do about that? Now Tai is a psychologist and expert on awkwardness. And he has some answers. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. I believe Lynette is here. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How about you? I'm good. You are here with me uh, and my Aunt Betty, our dear Betty. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hey, Lynette. (laughs) Hi, Betty. So uh, I want you both to start. Just uh, tell our listeners who you are. You go, Lynette. Oh, okay. Well, my name is Lynette, and um, Betty is a a dear, dear friend of mine uh, who I euphemistically refer to as my pew partner. Um, she's the individual that ensures I get a good seat every Sunday and always <laughs> is looking after me, especially in light of the fact that I'm usually running late. <laughs> I love I it. I'll tell you that I've had to send her a text to say, you better get here quick because somebody's going to fight me about this seat. So... <laughs> <laughs> The last time you took me to church with you, Betty, I do remember you get prime real estate in those church pews. Prime real estate. <laughs> That's because I get there early enough to mark my territories. Like I put a purse here and a Bible there and a scarf here. So, yeah. Well, because you'll get there early and then you'll make the rounds, whole court, talk to your people, get settled. It's like a whole to do. I That's love it. That's the way old people do. I love it too, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Well, let's pretend that this uh, is going to be a very different and rowdy version of church. Um, It's a game. It's called Who Said That? And the game is really simple. I share three quotes from the week of news, and you got to guess who said it or just guess what story I'm talking about. Betty, you've played it before, right? No. Yes, you have. I don't think so. No, I remember because we had a quote about Chris Pine, and you were like, oh, Chris Pine is cute. Oh, okay. He is cute. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Betty, can you give Lynette any advice as she tackles this game for the first time? Uh, Go with your first thought. Go with your gut, uh, because it goes so quickly that you may miss the opportunity. And you're playing against me, so you can relax, actually. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) No stress. Just have fun. All right. So there are no buzzers and there are no prizes. Just yell out the answer when you have it. Uh, This first quote is a fill in the blank. Blank is the hero of Gotham and of AMC. Four million guests in AMC theaters globally. Movie theaters are coming back. Hashtag choke on that. Batman. Yes, Batman. Yes, that's Batman. (laughs) Did y'all see this? new Batman movie that came out this past weekend? I haven't, but I will. I'm waiting for the crowd to die down before I go. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, it made over $130 million this past weekend, but people are mad because AMC Theaters, one of the biggest chains globally, they raised ticket prices for just this movie, The Batman, by a dollar on opening weekend. And no one noticed. Everyone just bought the tickets. <laughs> Must have been a really good movie. Anywho, that quote about the Batman comes from Adam Aaron. He's the CEO of AMC Theaters, and he's been bragging about these great box office numbers for AMC. And after he announced that AMC had upped ticket prices for the Batman by about a dollar, 
he kind of said, I don't care. Deal with it. Everyone deal with it. All right. I mean, I don't know how much tickets cost out there in Delaware these days, but in in L.A., some of these tickets are like close to $20 for a movie. Well, I get a senior discount, so it's not that bad. (laughs) (laughs) And if you go on Tuesday... Right. There's like a discount just for going on like Tuesday or Wednesday, something of that nature. So um, we count our pennies here in Delaware. (laughs) (laughs) I could definitely see myself going to see the Batman with the two of you Tuesday around like 11 a.m. That could be fun. Yeah, well, let's let's make it a date. (laughs) Popcorn on me. So that first point goes to Lynette. Congratulations so far. Thank you. And of course. And now let's go to this next quote. This next quote is from... One of the more famous musicians, singers of all time. Here's a quote. I was backstage trying not to cry my false eyelashes off, slinging... Dolly Parton. Wow, y'all are on fire. Lynette's been studying. I don't want to embarrass Betty. So what is this about, Lynette? Uh, Dolly Parton at the, I might get it wrong, but the Country Music Awards ceremony, she was a presenter. And I do believe that was following the song, And I Will Always Love You. Um, Which was performed by? Oh, Kelly Clarkson. Yes, you got it all. Okay. You got yes. it all. Yeah. She, was so, she was the host, though. Yeah, so this okay. week Dolly Parton hosted the Academy of Country Music Awards. And as part of the show, Kelly Clarkson, who will sing anybody's song, she sang a <laughs> rendition of Dolly Parton's song, I Will Always Love You, as a tribute to Dolly. Uh, of course, that song was made most famous by Whitney Houston and her cover of it. But when talking about this performance, which really touched Dolly, she said, Whitney is smiling down on us tonight, so thank you very much. She'd be proud of that. I, I, uh, I was backstage trying not to cry my false eyelashes off and, and slinging snot every direction and tears. But anyway, yeah, that that's was nice. Yes. I love Dolly Parton because I feel like she's the only celebrity that exists today where no one can say anything bad about her. Conservatives, liberals, yeah. old, young, everyone loves Dolly Parton. Well, she just handles them so well if they do. Yeah. She can yeah. do a put down like nobody can and just keep smiling mm-hmm. while she does it. So Yeah. I also heard that she wrote Jolene and I Will Always Love You in the same day. Wow. I love Jolene. I, know, right? I mean I don't like the That's sentiment, but I love the song. <laughs> I identify with Jolene. She's just trying to live her best life. Nah, nah. <laughs> She used to take, she used to take those, those uh, earrings and nails off and go handle Jolene. I just want to hear Jolene's side of the story. That's all I'm saying. Ha, 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 ha. She gets a bad rap. This is my take on Jolene. She targeted that man and went after him. Wow. Oh, I agree. I agree. I think she did. And so and Dolly has to know. deal with both of them, okay? Yes. Okay. Jolene, Jolene. Wow. All right. Last quote. It's not about Jolene or Dolly Parton. Tell me who said this. I trained the next president of CNN. So I believe legally that CNN now stands for the blank news network. There's some news because CNN's getting a new CEO. So he comes from one of the late night shows. Yes. Go ahead. Say it. Um, yes. Um, oh my gosh. Colbert. Yes. 
Colbert. Colbert, yes. So that quote comes from Stephen Colbert. He was given a send-off to his boss. Our own Chris Licht, right over there at that podium, is leaving this show to take over CNN. I trained the next president of CNN. So, I believe, I believe... I believe legally CNN now stands for the Colbert News Network. Do y'all have thoughts about this news? I feel like, Betty, you watch CNN a fair amount. I, I think that I've read a lot of things about people thinking, saying that Jeff Zucker should not have been uh, let go, but I think that he had to be let go because you can't have two sets of rules. You can't fire Chris Cuomo for mm-hmm. what he did, and you're doing something that's too much power for the rules not to apply to you. Yeah. So Chris Light is not going to take the reins at CNN until May, but there's already been headlines about what he plans to do. Apparently, he's saying that he wants CNN to tone it down a little bit and to make nice with Fox News. He I says CNN that. is going to uh. kind of have a truth with Fox News and stop all the negative coverage about Fox. How do I feel about that? Well, he got to go. <laughs> he's not even there yet. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think that it's a good thing to let any one news agency so blatantly skew news. And that might be my personal bias, but, you know, the truth is the truth. And um, I think that people do need to be held accountable when they don't tell the truth, regardless of the news network that you're affiliated with. Yeah, yeah. But you don't get a lot of news anymore. You get a lot of pontificating, a lot of people explaining the, their thoughts on the news. And and so I miss those days when we just got the news covered and that was it. And I think that in a 24-hour news cycle, where the news is on all the time, there's only so many times they can say breaking news and it's the same thing mm-hmm. you've heard for the last two days. So they have mm-hmm. to do other stuff to make it. Just to make out the time. Maybe CNN should just go down like four hours a day. That's all we need. That's all we need. And take Fox down, too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, With that, I'm going to announce the winner. It was a clean sweep. Lynette, congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. How does it feel? Wow. I mean, you know, no no prizes. Um, We'll I guess, you, you know, I have those bragging rights, but I can't really brag too much to Betty because she won't save me a seat on Sunday. So um, <laughs> it feels secure. great. <laughs> <laughs> it feels great. I, I, I'm really about you did great. <laughs> I'm, I'm very appreciative that um, you guys allowed me um, to play along with you. I am a fan of NPR and I, I play it while I'm at work and uh, in my car. So um, I just feel like a celebrity just being a part of NPR today. Oh <laughs> well, I'm glad y'all both joined me. Thank you both so much. I could not have imagined a more enjoyable final Who Said That for myself than with the two of you. Oh, you're sweetie. Thank you, Sam. Thank we you so you. much. Now it's time to end the show the way we always do. Every week, we hear the best things that happen to our listeners. But this week, we have a very special version of our Best Things segment. Let's listen. Hey, it's Brent Bachman. Uh, The best thing for me about working with Sam was getting to work on the very first episodes of the show with him. 
hearing how much raw talent he had, and just knowing before anyone had ever heard an episode of his show that Sam's future was going to be filled with so much amazing work. And of course, that's still true. I'm Asia Drain. It's been a minute's current intern. And my best thing about Sam was just the memory of the first phone call that we had. It can be kind of intimidating to somebody you're a fan of and talking to them for the first time. But Sam is the type of person that understands people and was really honest and really kind about giving me advice, along with a lot of laughs in between. And I'm so excited to be a listener again and to hear whatever he works on next. Hey, Sam, it's Anjali. The best thing about you is your kindness and care when talking to the guests on our show and our listeners. It's no wonder that you have so many fans. I'm going to really miss you. Hey, this is Steve from St. Paul. And the best thing about working with Sam on It's Been a Minute is how kind he is to everyone he works with and how much we all learn from him. Hey, this is Janae, one of the producers at It's Been a Minute, and my favorite thing about Sam is his impression of Fred Armisen doing an impression of Joy Behar. So what? Who cares? So what? Who cares? So what? Who cares? Okay. That's my favorite thing. Hi, Sam. Jordana here. The best thing has been being your editor these last few years. It's a rare thing to be able to build a creative partnership like this, and I feel really lucky to call you a colleague and a friend. Hi, this is Andrea, producer, and it's been a minute. The best thing about Sam is that what you hear of him on air, that's him. Like, that's who he is as a person. He brings his fullest self. And he is always looking out for the people coming up behind him, thinking of our best interests. And for that, I thank him. Sam, I will miss you. Hi, Sam. This is Ian. We'll miss you. Good luck. Maddie, can you say hi, Sam? Hi, Sam. I'm good luck. Can you say, I'll miss you? I'll miss you. Hey, Sam. It's Liam. I just wanted to share how grateful I am to have worked with you. You welcomed me into the job and the industry with so much kindness and encouragement and honesty too. You've always brought your full self to your work and shown me that I can do the same. And that's really powerful. I'm going to miss talking about Mariah Carey's best albums and tender queers and other gay with you in Slack but I'm so excited to see what you do next. We'll miss you, Sam. Can't wait to listen, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Can you say good luck? Good luck. I didn't know y'all were going to do that. You surprised me. Wow, that was incredible. I'm just happy to see you being so loved. You know, it's hard to leave a place, but when you leave a place with so many good wishes, it just makes it much easier in the memories you'll have forever. My colleagues are so great, and our listeners are so great, and the audience and the thing that we've built, I'm very, very proud of it, and so happy that I get to celebrate it with so many awesome people in this episode and on this show who I'll, of course, stay in touch with. Once you make those kind of relationships, you can't just walk away from them. At all. You can't do it. Well, I suppose this uh, takes us to our final credits uh, for you and me on this show, and I was thinking we might read them together. Okay. Okay. You mean, like, 
In unison? No. Or you read one and I read one? <laughs> we'll switch off. We'll switch off. I'll uh, start with the first line and then you can go to the next one. All right, this week's episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Anjali Sastry Kerbacek, Janae West, Andrea Gutierrez, and Liam McBain. Our intern is Asia Drain. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Uh, and our professional voice is Aunt Betty Garrett. Um, Thank you all so much for being a part of this community and this experiment for the last few years. I'm so excited to hear where this show goes and uh, get to work on some new stuff myself. Gosh, the last thing I'll say is, um, until next time, take care of yourselves. Uh, We'll talk soon. And Betty, I'll call you soon, too. (laughs) Okay. All right. Take care, everybody. care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day we transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news, we take you there. And you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day. What does it sound like to record an album inside a jail? On the documentary podcast, Track Change, you'll hear four men make music inside Richmond City Jail and hear how they're trying to break free from a cycle of addiction and incarceration. Been so long since I've been free. Listen to Track Change from Narratively and VPM, part of the NPR Network. Feel like the world is on fire? Shortwave is your antidote. We find joy and beauty in the science of the planet we live on. How people are taking action in the face of climate change. The many weird and wonderful ways animals have adapted to a changing world in the past and present. And how technology is pushing us forward. Listen now to the Shortwave Podcast from NPR.